The countdown to legal recreational adult use of marijuana is underway in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Do you think you know how to use it and what it does to your body? Alcohol is poison. Just one of the opinions Dr. Jordan Tischler of Inhale MD, a Harvard-educated physician who spoke at the New England Cannabis Convention a few weeks ago in Boston, said, we'll talk with him next on In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Once again, brought to you by Vape Daddy's, the premier retail store dedicated to vaping your favorite substance of choice. Now, with four locations in the Boston area, in Newton, Norwood, Framingham, and Braintree, who's your daddy? Vape Daddy's the answer. Make sure you subscribe, like, and share this podcast with episodes available on iTunes and the CLNS Media Network. And a video record of this is also will be available at CLNS Media's YouTube channel. So, Dr. Jordan Tischer, first of all, thank you so much for coming in today. Well, thanks for having me, and it's always a pleasure. And as I learned the various regulations that are in place and what have you, um, there are certain things about them that even I admit make no sense to me, yet I've never had to use the um, never had to use cannabis for fighting cancer um, to me four ounces a month is kind of ridiculous it's five actually it's now five it's what, always, it's always ten, it's, ten ounces over two months right right exactly okay. so it's ten ounces over two months and I gotta admit if an, if you get it through an ounce in a year that's pretty impressive. It just is. I, That's a lot of weed. It's it's insane. And just for our audience, let me say that if you imagine a Ziploc sandwich baggie stuffed with weed... That's one ounce. Right. Right. So now in in two months. Four fingers, have... we used to call it. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Uh, you know, you're talking about 10 of those b- b- sandwich baggies. Um, I typically tell my patients, look, if you come up to an ounce in a month, then we need to have a chat. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong, but right. it's a lot, and that's worth our revisiting. Yeah. Um, that's good. And, that's very and, responsible, and I think that makes sense, to be honest, in so many ways. Well, you know, part of what you go to a doctor for is to have some guidance, right? And if the doc isn't going to say, look, this is the best practices, and here's where we run into trouble, and let's keep an eye on things and work together, then I don't see any value in that relationship. And the whole point is that there can be and should be value in that relationship. One of the things we talked about uh, when we first met was, you know, you are someone who is Harvard educated, both undergrad and at the med school. You then had to do uh, years of practice inside a hospital to get expertise, training, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. And yet now with a medical marijuana card, you can go into a uh, treatment facility and get advice from someone behind the desk that has maybe four hours of training. I don't even know how much required training some of the patient advocates who there's, are giving advice. There's have. no there's no requirement. There's no requirement. Um, so so that I, must, I'm going to say, that makes you pissed off. I'm going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to guess that makes you up. I think it gets me upset a little. It's not the training or lack thereof that gets me upset per se. It's the effect that that has on my patients. Mm. So um, there's no level of training short of what I've gone through that really is going to put them in a position to adequately do what they're doing, which is practicing medicine without a license. Right. Um, the issue is um, 
Well, first of all, you know, their level of understanding is really about that of a Starbucks barista. So I tell my patients, look, if you wouldn't ask your barista about your health care, probably you shouldn't ask these guys either. And this isn't really to be a slight to them. They are on their life journey, right? And right. they have found that cannabis is important to them and that they feel like they're doing some good for the world by working in a cannabis uh, dispensary. And I think that that's true. But there is a limit to what they know. And beyond that limit, there are real potential harms that can come to people from being misadvised. And one of the things that I think is really shameful about the entire marijuana or cannabis industry, see, I slipped to, um, is is that we're kind of reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, yes, you are. You know, the the pharmacy system in this country has been developed over the last hundred or so years, right. and it has developed into something that actually is very well crafted and is crafted. Because there were problems with the system beforehand. Right. So, um, you know, if you go in to your CVS and go up to the young person behind the counter and say, should I buy a leave or Advil for my back pain? They know full well because they've been trained that they can say, I can't answer that question for you, but I'd be happy to find the pharmacist for you and maybe they can answer it. And the pharmacist may very well look at that situation and say, I can't answer that either. You need to talk to your doctor. That's appropriate. And that's because it protects patients from being misled either out of ignorance or the other thing we have to remember is that in the dispensary, the person behind the counter is there to sell you stuff. Their job is to sell you more and different and all of those sorts of things that are good for their bottom line, but really not a good idea for a patient. It's the difference between a patient and a consumer. A consumer, caveat emptor. But patients, we recognize that they have issues that put them in a special and protected class. Yeah, and that's interesting. And I love that, the way you kind of phrase that too. And I, I do get concerned about that. But the a lot of the medical marijuana dispensaries, at least the first ones that come to market, were all set up as nonprofits before they transfer over to a for-profit entity. Mm-hmm. And of course, now this I believe the Commonwealth is allowing these medical dispensaries to have a certain amount of hours that uh, they will be able to sell retail uh, cannabis. Well, this is, in fact, sort of the interesting political outcome, which is that um, the recreational ballot was constructed in such a way that the medical dispensaries would get first dibs on either selling recreationally or converting entirely to a recreational facility. Um, And and in the plus column, the idea was, well, look, they're already up and running, so they'll have some systems worked out, and we'll be able to make sort of seamless transition. But the problem, of course, is that there were really no safeguards for patients uh, in that process. So we have anticipated that um, that these dispensaries may, in fact, abandon patients altogether. And even if they don't, if they're allowed to sell sort of carte blanche to the recreational market, that there may be no supply left for right. patients. Now, the um, Cannabis Control Commission did put in place a rule that said that they had to reserve 30% of their current production for patients. I hope that 30% is is an appropriate number. As far as I know, it was plucked out of the air and not based on any evidence. Which, you know, when I was at 
one of the commission hearings that was open to the public. And in the crowd was a um, general partner, owner of one of the uh, one of the medical dispensaries. I happen to know who that is. And there was a question about, well, what how much are they going through in a month? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that would be the most one of the most obvious questions you could ask this person. He was never asked the question. And they just. Arbit- I don't know if it was arbitrary. Again, they're using Colorado, California, and Washington State as example states, trying not to make some of the mistakes that those states did when they uh, introduced cannabis to their communities, but did not take advantage of the fact that this guy was in the audience. And I even went up to him after in a break, and I said, you knew the answer to that, didn't you? And he goes, yeah, of course I do. And I said, I- but I think there's another complicating factor. Um, There's more than one. Well, to be sure. But I think part of it also is that if you look at the population of potential purchasers, Mm -hmm. we have sort of three groups. There's um, seriously ill patients. That's one group. Then we have people who we might put air quotes around the word patient Mm -hmm. who have managed to get themselves a card and therefore are participating in the medical system, but really... um, aren't seeking medical care. And then there's this third group, which is the people who aren't participating at all and may or may not rush in when they're allowed to. And so the question is, if you say, well, look, um, the current medical dispensary is um, selling this much stuff, what you don't know is what percentage of their customer base is going to rush over to the recreational side as soon as they as soon as there is one versus how many people are actually going to rush in from that third non-using group or non-participating group. Um, so it's a little hard to know if, you know, we're looking at sort of 70 or 60 percent of the current air quotes patients group is suddenly going to become recreational and then 30 percent remain, in which case that 30 percent would be a reasonable number. Uh, it's, it's just hard to know that. I believe the current amount of patients in the cannabis program in Massachusetts is just under 50,000 patients. It's somewhere in that range. With um, a number of dispensaries. And the recreational, I believe, they're projecting quite a few more. Um, Do we have any idea on the demand that is going to be in place on July 1st? I don't think so. Does anybody I don't think so. So who's guessing? How do they know how much crop to have? I think the answer is they don't. And so, and furthermore, um, many of the facilities, at least at the moment, are at the top of their capacity. So it's going to take them months to scale up that capacity, all right? I mean, first of all, there's build-out and stuff like that, which is stuff you can anticipate a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then you have to grow the crop, harvest the crop, cure the crop, manufacture from the crop. So that takes months and months. I think that there is going to be an issue come July you know, 1st or 10th or something like that. Uh, and you know, because my focus is on taking care of my patients, we have sent emails to our patient group saying, you know, generally speaking, we don't encourage you to overbuy, but at the moment, we think you probably should be stocking up a little bit so we're not caught out. And of course, um, the the patients are expected to adhere to the regulations in their program. Um, in other words, you can go and get 
an ounce or two at a dispensary, but it is still illegal to sell that to another person, especially a non-person, you can, a non-patient, not a non-person, a non-patient. Um, but you can gift it. You can, you can say, hey, um, I love you. Here you go. Try this. And even that has some dangers to it, especially if someone's trying it for the first time. Absolutely. I mean, I think that there's, there is this um, kind of weird idea that cannabis is, um, you know, so we're moved away from this idea that cannabis is the devil's weed. Now we've got it as cannabis is God's weed, right? And so it can do no wrong. And that's unfortunately not true either. Uh, some the reality lies somewhere in between, probably not dead center. But the bottom line is, you can in fact get sick using cannabis, particularly too much cannabis. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, uh, for people who are actually ill um, and have you know ongoing multiple conditions, it becomes a little bit more tricky than just say saying, "Oh yeah, here roll up a joint." Um, you know, for for the average person on the street who wants, again, to sort of use cannabis in place of a glass of Chardonnay at the end of the evening, I'm all for that. I think that's fine. And we know full well that cannabis is safer than alcohol. Uh, that's why I campaigned for legalization, amongst other reasons. Um, but when somebody comes in, you know, when somebody has uh, back pain, they probably ought to, if it's persistent, see a doctor because back pain isn't always so benign. Um, If they have ongoing anxiety disorder, probably they should see somebody about that. It doesn't necessarily mean that cannabis isn't the right medicine in the end for them, but we need to get there as we would with any other medical approach and any other medicines by a thoughtful investigation so that we understand that we're doing the right thing. Um, a story I like to tell is that I had over the course of a couple years, two gentlemen come to me complaining of back pain. And there wasn't anything particularly unusual about their back pain. But because I take this seriously and read everybody's medical records, I noticed that both of these gentlemen had had liver transplants. So it had nothing to do with their back pain, but it did mean that they were on a medication called tacrolimus, which is a potent immunosuppressant medicine, which allows them to maintain that liver. So if the level of this drug goes too low, they lose the liver, but this medicine is also fairly dangerous. So if the level goes too high, then it can be lethal in and of itself. Hmm. Sounds like a challenge, doesn't it? Yes. It turns out, of course, that cannabis and CBD, cannabidiol, which is one of the cannabinoid medicines, uh, turns out to interact with tacrolimus. And so the level can go up and that can be lethal. And I envisioned a scenario for both of these men where they went to a dispensary and was asked, you know, what are you here for? And they said back pain and was immediately handed a bottle of CBD, which could have been fatal for them. So again, we, you know, in the cannabis world, we talk a lot about this being very holistic and natural. But if we're going to be holistic, we have to take into account the whole person, not just whatever it is that they think or do need cannabis for. And that's one of the things that came across in your little talk that I listened to. And well, that'll do it for In the Weeds, brought to you by Vape Daddies, now with four locations in the greater Boston area for all of your vaping needs and questions. Remember to subscribe to In the Weeds on clnsmedia.com. For Dr. Jordan Tischler, I'm Jimmy Young, and you've been listening to In the Weeds on clnsmedia.com.
In the Weeds is a podcast produced at the studios of Little Park Media in Wellesley, Massachusetts for the listening enjoyment of our audience. None of the opinions or advice on this program should be considered medical advice or a substitute for seeing a certified medical marijuana practitioner or your local physician. All opinions and thoughts on this show do not necessarily represent the management of CLNS Media Group or Little Park Media.